Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Hell Has an Exit and listening to part one of Hell Has an Entrance. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Remember guys, if you want to ask a question, please go to your Apple podcast and leave a five-star rating with your question in the review. Tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Hell Has an Exit. You can follow us on Instagram. If you have any questions, you can also DM us. If you're struggling for help, you can always go to unitedrecoveryproject.com. And thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I'm Brian, and I'm an addict. And this is my story. But before we start with my story, I'd like to invite everybody to do a moment of silence. Take a deep breath. Close your eyes. Unless you're driving. If you're driving, keep your fucking eyes open. If you're not driving, close your eyes. Plant your feet. Relax your shoulders. And just give it a second to just sit with your body. Feel comfortable in your own skin. If you have a thought, just let it go. If you have another thought, just watch it go. And eventually you'll be able to focus on the space between your thoughts. All right, thank you. So my story is just like everyone else's story I lived to use and used to live. I'm going to do this as fast as I can, as efficient as I can. I've been speaking since I was 17 years old. I'm no stranger to speaking. I've spoken at women's prisons. I've spoken at max security prisons. I've spoken at juvenile detention centers. I've spoken at probably over a thousand meetings. Getting to share my story is something that is truly a gift. Um, I say that because people share their story with me and... It was people's stories that really made me think that this was possible. You know, it was hearing other addicts talk about their life in a way that was so raw and real that there was no doubt in my mind that these people were telling the truth. You know, when I went to a meeting and people were talking about the crack pipe being one inch, broken, blacked out, coffins, that char nastiness up, I was just like, God damn. You know, I heard people talking about uh, smoking crack in cardboard boxes, women sucking dick for $5, you know, jumping in and out of cars, you know, prostituting themselves on the street. And I would get to know these people, and these people really saved my life. I really owe everything I have in my life to God and the 12 steps and the 12 traditions, everything from the socks on my feet to the shirt on my back to the house I live in to the car I drive to my cell phone to the wallet. You know, everything I have in my life I really owed to having a sponsor, working steps, making meetings the center of my schedule, you know, prioritizing recovery. 
and it's a program that's pretty free, so it doesn't really cost much to be there. You put a dollar in the basket, and you can enter the, in my opinion, the most amazing program, spiritual program that there is. And my goal in life is to share this message with other addicts and other people. If you're listening to this show and you're struggling, keep struggling. Just keep struggling. You know, eventually you're going to persevere and you're going to make it one day. And I try to tell that to everyone I come across because I truly believe that the homeless person on the street can get clean. I really believe the guy at the methadone clinic for 20 years can get clean. I believe the 17-year-old can get clean. I believe the 56-year-old can get sober whatever. You know, I believe that, like, whoever you are, how long you're using, whatever it is, you can get clean. You can change your life. You never, ever have to use again. You don't ever have to feel used again. If you want to change your life and stop going to prison, you can do it right here, right now, one day at a time by working the steps and getting involved and having a higher power. Like, you can change your life. When I got clean, I didn't believe in God. When I got clean, I thought God was for weirdos. I thought it was strange. I thought it was like an imaginary friend. I thought people who believed in God were crazy. You know, my mom believed in God my whole life. My mom was very, very Christian. You know, I remember smoking crack all night, and my mom would be banging on my door, and she would, you know, unlock the—she'd have, like, a little uh, thing to unlock the door, and she'd break in, and she'd see my face all bugged out, and she'd start crying, and she would take me to church, and she'd have people come over from the church, and they would pray over me. You know, I just thought she was so crazy. But my mom was really the only person that really held on the entire time. Like, she never got tired of holding on. She never, you know, when I had court, she took me to court. When I went to jail, she picked me up from jail. When I got sent to military school, she picked me up from military school. When I had to go to probation, she took me to probation. You know, my mom was just, and it was never like an inconvenience, you know. I remember principals calling her and saying, you know, your son was caught with drugs. You got to come pick him up. My mom never acted inconvenienced. My mom never acted like this was too much. She was always there. And I remember, like, my mom sells life insurance. She works. She busts her ass my whole life. And I remember she'd come to school in her briefcase and in her work, you know, her work clothes. And I'd be fucked up or I'd be getting arrested or something. And she would sit with me and tell me that one day I was going to get clean. And my mom would tell me that one day things are going to change. And she would pray with me. And I really, really just thought she was crazy. And I love my mom to death, even like during all my using. You know, I could say today, like my mom really is a part of like who I am today and um, has helped me, you know, really see what unconditional love is. And sometimes I don't think that shit's even healthy, you know? I was 17 when I got clean. So at some point, it's like, yeah, I was still like a minor. But like, you know, sometimes I feel like when someone turns 18 or they're in their 20s or 25 or whatever, it's time to let that kid go. And I don't mean like you stop loving an addict. But what I tell people all the time is like, if you have an addict living at your house and they're, you know, over 18, you need to kick them the fuck out. Like I tell parents all the time, kick them out. And a lot of times, you know, you have the, you know, enablers say, oh, that's my baby. I can't kick them out. But in my honest opinion, nine times out of 10, I truly believe that an addict will not get clean if they still have resources. And if I have a place to live 
and I got a little money in my pocket, why would I ever stop using? And I know many addicts that say that, you know, the turning point for them was when mom wasn't answering their calls no more. It was when mom wasn't answering their calls from jails no more. Mom wasn't letting you stay at their house no more. They told you to go to halfway. You know, I have friends that their family didn't talk to them for years. I believe in tough love, you know. And speaking of tough love, that's like when my father comes in the picture. Growing up, my father was like my greatest hero. You know, I loved my father as a kid. And uh, I remember being a young kid. My father's really into music, like crazy into music. And uh, I remember being a kid and I would sit shotgun with him and we'd go and run errands and we'd be listening to like Michael Jackson and like all these crazy bands. Like he loves like American rock. We'd be singing the songs together. And I remember just being a kid and, and really like looking up to my dad, thinking like he could do no wrong in my eyes. Being the youngest of uh, the family, I got an older brother and older sister, you know, I, my parents were pretty lenient with me. I think they were more strict to my older sister, kind of strict to my brother. And then when I was around and was like, hey, you can kind of do whatever you want as long as you're home on time, you get good grades and your room's clean. As a young kid, I really found uh, myself skating. You know, I love rollerblading. I love skating. You know, I remember being in second or third grade and I'd be going to Brian Piccolo Skate Park in Cooper City. And I I remember skipping school. I remember being like second grade. And like I used to skate to school. And there was times where I'd be like, you know, fuck school. I'm going to go to the skate park. And I would go to the skate park and there'd be like nobody there, one person working. And they'd be like, aren't you supposed to be in school? And I remember just like looking them dead in the eye and being like, no, nah, I'm from Canada. And <laughs> I'm here on vacation. And the guy would be like, whatever. And he would let me in and I'd go skate and then come back home. And uh, I got away with that. As a young kid, I was just, like, into mischief. Like, I don't know what it was, but I remember coming home one day, and there was a, a bike near a lake, and I was, riding, I was riding my bike home from school, and there was, like, this brand-new nice bike with pegs right by the lake, just lay down. Nobody was there. And I got off my bike, and I went up to the other bike, and I just pushed that shit right into the lake, and then across the lake, there was these kids jumping on a trampoline, and they were like, hey, that's my bike. And I was like, oh, shit. So I jumped on my bike, and I started I rode home. And, like, for a year, I took the long way home, you know. I remember late at night when we'd have, like, a sleepover, I'd go, like, we'd ride our bikes down the street, and I'd be on the back of someone's pegs, and I would get a baseball bat, and we'd smash all the mailboxes in the neighborhood, and uh, as I got older, we would, like, paintball cars and doorbell ditch houses. And we'd play football in hurricanes, you know, and we'd skimboard. And up until, like, fourth grade, like, obviously I'm doing this with older kids. You know, I had a brother who was, like, a year and a half older. And I have, like, a kid across the street that was older. And uh, this other kid that lived next door, he had, like, an older cousin. And I say all that to say that I don't think that makes me an addict. I don't think that because I like to play with fire as a kid and doorbell ditch houses that I was destined to be an addict. But I do believe that I was born an addict. And um, I believe that I did a lot of things to fit in. I was really obsessed with trying to be cool. And really deep down inside was like really insecure. But that insecurity didn't really come out until I moved away from the skate park. And I uh, moved into another neighborhood in Davie in fourth grade. And, um, you know, I remember my first day there, I was riding my bike. And I had, like, 
a BMX bike where I could spin the handlebars and I could do a bunny hop. And I was doing that outside and I got some other kids' attention. They're like, oh, cool bike, whatever. And we started hanging out. All the other kids in the neighborhood, like none of them skated, BMXed, or skateboarded, you know. They all played sports. And uh, I remember like the first day I had like five or six friends already. We're all talking and hanging out. My dad was just laughing like, look at Brian. He's already making all these friends. And I was a social kid. As time went on, like, I think like sometimes we'd fuck around and skateboard. But for the most part, people in my neighborhood played sports. And I hated playing sports. I was so terrible at them. I have like such ADHD when I play sports. Like after 20 minutes of playing a sport, I'm just like thinking about tomorrow and like I'm just like airheaded when it comes to sports. I just can't pay attention long. And I was like the worst one on the team and I would get picked last and I'd get bullied and people would peg the ball at me. And like every time we played, I'd cry and I'd get tackled too hard. It was to a point where like I didn't want to go play. I remember there was times where like Kids would come over to my house to get my brother to go play football. I'd pretend to be asleep, and they'd be like, where's Brian? And he'd be like, oh, he's sleeping. And uh, someone from the neighborhood would jump on top of him and be like, wake up, faggot. We're going to go play fucking football. And I'd be like, oh, I don't want to. And they'd start fucking punching me and shit, and I'd get up, and I'd go play. And they'd be like, you're not going to cry this time, are you? And I'd be like, no, nah, fuck you. I'm not going to cry. I would get tackled and start crying. You know, I have friends that are older now that are like, yeah, you know, wasn't a surprise when Brian became a drug addict because he got bullied so bad as a kid. I did kind of get, like, messed with with, like, my older friends. But at the same time, like, if I ever needed anything from, like, one of my older friends, like, the same kid that would bully me, if someone ever tried me, he'd fight them and fuck them up, you know. Growing up, that's just kind of how kids, even men, that's how men kind of interact with each other. They kind of put each other down, you know. Uh, I went to a Tony Robbins convention, and he was saying that, like, you know, women walk around, like, Oh, no, your butt is bigger. No, your butt's bigger. No, you got the biggest butt ever. And guys are like, shut up, loser. Everyone knows my butt's the biggest. And, um, you know, that's kind of how men are. They kind of, they really compete with each other. And I didn't know that growing up. I thought there was something wrong with me. You know, I didn't want to be good at sports. I had nothing I was really good at. And then one day this kid moved into a neighborhood. He had uh, like a mohawk a spiked belt he skated and and all this shit and he was just like a punk rocker and I was probably in fourth fifth grade he was like in seventh grade I remember I'd go to his house and all the lights would be off and his parents would like drink in the middle of the day and smoke cigarettes and in fourth grade I smoked cigarettes with this kid and I remember you know I didn't even know how to inhale and we'd be hanging out, and, you know, he had a go-ped, and we'd, like, ride his go-ped around, and we'd smoke at, like, these houses that were still under construction, and we'd spray paint, like, the word fuck you on them, and, you know, just being, like, kind of, like, like little uh, little rebels. You know, I remember the first time I got caught smoking cigarettes. I came home one day, and my dad hugged me, and he could smell it in my hair. And I had washed my hands a bunch of times. I changed my clothes. And my dad was like, you're smoking cigarettes? And I was like, no, no, no. I'm at my friend's house and his parents smoke. And my dad, like, my dad is pretty hip to the game. He was like, nah, bro, you're smoking. And I was like, no, I'm not smoking. I learned how to hide. I learned how to lie. I got really good at lying. And I remember being able to, uh, you know, I remember we started smoking weed. I remember we'd smoke weed and I would bring gloves and I'd bring Visine and I'd bring cologne. And we'd go behind, like, this dumpster or whatever, and we'd smoke the joint. 
and then I would like rub my hands on the grass and I would get some of his gasoline from his goat head and I put it all over my clothes and I put some in my hair and I put visine in my eyes. And I remember he'd be like, all right, we're going to go home and watch cartoons now. And I was like, sweet. But, like, I was still watching cartoons at that age. You know, he wanted to do it because we were high. You know, I don't remember the first time I smoked weed. Like, I don't remember, uh, like, what it felt. You know, I just remember that this was cool. And uh, while everyone else started, like, playing sports and getting better at basketball and stuff, I started hanging out with, like, more of the misfit crowd. I remember being in like sixth grade and my brother had older friends and, and they were all over and they were smoking. And, you know, like growing up, like my brother didn't really want me around or that's how I felt, you know, like whenever I would go into his room, he'd be like, get out of my room, you fucking faggot, get out of here, you fucking loser, get out. And uh, I just like wanted to like hang out with his friends. And like a lot of times, like, you know, the older brother didn't want his little brother around. And, like, we still hung out and stuff, but, like, I just remember being at that time where, like, his friends were all in his room and, like, you know, they kicked me out. And I remember being, like, whatever, fuck you losers. I don't want to hang out with you anyways. And I could tell that they were trying to smoke. Uh, I could overhear their conversation that they were looking for, like, a piece or they were trying to make something. And even though I was, like, younger, I was probably, like, in fifth, sixth grade, I remember being on the side of the house and one of my brother's friends he was out there, and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. And I was like, you guys trying to smoke? And he was like, what? And I was like, if you guys want to smoke, like, I have a piece. And he was looking at me like, you have a what? And I was like, a piece. And I pulled out, like, this little pipe that I had, and he was like, get the fuck out of here. And he started laughing. He's like, yo, yo, Kevin's little brother smokes. What the fuck? And they were probably in seventh or eighth grade, and I was in fifth grade. I got invited to the room. You know, and really that's where, like, my addiction really started was, like, trying to gain acceptance into, like, the next room. When I gained acceptance into my brother's room, I gained acceptance with, like, his friends and um, some of the, like, other people's friends. You know, I had other people in the neighborhood that had older brothers that were, like, juniors in um, high school. And I realized that, like, the more weed I had, the more friends I had. And I learned how to manipulate people. And I remember being in sixth grade and I would buy like a half eighth or whatever. And fucking weed's expensive in sixth grade, you know? And I remember I would buy like a, a half eighth and smoking and need more money. And, you know, I was really just getting money from like stealing some money from my dad. And then I learned how to take his debit card and I knew his pin code and I would take like a hundred bucks out and I'd buy like, I don't know, a quarter. And I remember I used to bag it all up, and I used to go on this website, and I used to, like, read about weed. In sixth grade, I could make a bong out of anything. Like, I literally could make a bong out of anything on the planet, you know? And I remember I was smoking spoofs in my room, which is where you get, like, a toilet roll, and you stuff one side of it with, like, air softener. And I used to smoke before school. In sixth grade, I'm pretty much smoking every day. I remember putting Visine in my eyes at school and cologne and having weed on me 24-7. You know, I had friends who were driving, going to parties. And, uh, you know, at the time I had like a double tape and a blowout. All the girls were, uh, you know, talking to me or whatever. And I really felt like I was somebody. And when I do drugs, I like become them. And I started listening to Bob Marley and Bone Thugs and like all this rap music and... 
you know, having $60 in my pocket and a quarter of weed, I thought I was the man. You know, one thing about me is that, like, I don't really need much to do something. Like, a lot of times in life, people want to do something. They need someone to go with them, or they need someone to show them how, or they need someone to, like, explain it to them. Till today, if I want to do something, I don't ask permission from nobody. I look it up myself. I figure it out, and I just fucking do it. And I remember being a kid, and I wanted to drive, and I took my mom's keys, and I drove. I was like... I really am like the kid who just wants to do hood rat things with his friends. Like I stole my mom's car in fifth grade. From sixth grade on, I was stealing the car all the time, stealing the car. And in sixth, seventh grade, I was driving on the weekends, driving at night, picking up girls, hooking up with girls, smoking. I think in seventh grade is when I really started going to like keg parties. And I remember like I would take my mom's car in seventh grade I'd have like a half O of weed on me and I'd be going to like some senior high school party. And I remember I'd pull up and serve people up or like people knew me there, you know? Like at that time it was like people knew who I was and people never really asked me how old I was. I think sometimes people thought I went to a different school. And I remember like hanging out with my friend and his older brother and his older friends and, you know, we'd be selling weed, driving around, getting weed. And, you know, I was very good at, like, networking. I always had, like, three or four different people who could get bud. And even in seventh grade, I was super snobby. Like, I didn't just get, like, any type of weed. Like, I definitely was never, ever smoking fucking regs. If you smoked regs, like, we fucking clowned on you. Only crippy, you know? Crippy, funk. You could tell when it was, like, hydroponic. AK-47, you know, chandeliers, uh, lemon train wreck. I was really into getting, like, funky weed, you know? I was really snobby about my weed. If you came around and had shitty weed, I was just like, get the fuck out of here. I remember being in the car with my friends, and, like, I was sitting in the back seat, and I'm hanging out with people that are, like, 18, 19 years old. And I remember them, like, realizing how young I am because they're like, yo, we're going to pick you up tomorrow from school. And I was like, oh, I don't get out of school till like, 4. They were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I still go to Indian Ridge. And they were like, oh, shit, we forgot how young your ass was. What the fuck? They were like, damn, dog, like, the person we buy weed from is in fucking middle school. That's crazy. And, you know, I remember, like, 3-6 Mafia was real big that back then. We were listening to 3-6 Mafia and Lil White. And Lil White had that song, Oxycontin. Uh, 3-6 Mafia had that song, um, Bin Laden Weed. And, uh, you know, my friend Albert had a car. And, you know, we were just, like, having fun, man. Like, I really think about that time where I was, like, going to parties, getting fucked up on somebody's lawn. And when I talk about parties, like, I remember being seventh grade going to a party in Weston Hills. No idea whose fucking house it was. The parents would be there. They'd be having a jug where everyone collects people's keys because they don't want people to drink and drive. The parents were like the mean girl's mom, like, oh, I'm a cool mom. And fucking there'd be a nitrous tank on the fucking front lawn. There'd be 200 kids outside, 50 cars outside, you know, crazy music bumping, everyone screaming, laughing, having a good time. People doing keg stands, blunts getting rolled in the backyard, people getting pushed in the pool, fights getting broken out, you know. You know, the cops would come, everyone would dip out and go to Waffle House. We all meet up at Waffle House, fucking, there'd be like some girl getting fucked in the bathroom, like some kids fighting in the parking lot. 
And then, like, we dip out from the Waffle House and we go to the Shell in Weston. It'd be like, you know, people used to call it like Club Shell. We'd all meet up there and then go to the other house party. There was a time where there was like an abandoned house off volunteer. We used to just party at this abandoned house. There was some kid in Davie who used to throw the craziest part. He would be throwing like foam pit parties. This, this is a fucking foam pit. This one time it was like catered by Wendy's. And bro, I'm talking like 12 years old, fucking twisting up blunts in the back of cars, selling people weed, making money, coming home all fucked up. And my parents kind of just laughed it off. And I always had a good story. And I was always out. And, oh, we're having a sleepover or whatever, sneaking out. I really felt like I was the coolest kid in town. Like, I really did. Like, I thought, you know, I used to watch uh, Boiler Room, and I used to have these dreams of, like, me and all my friends becoming millionaires and all this shit and, you know, making money or whatever. Seventh grade, I got arrested for the first time. And me and this kid, Izzy, were smoking in the bathroom. This kid was like some foreign exchange kid that like just came to school. And everyone used to make fun of him because he was foreign, but I just thought he was cool. Like, because uh, when I talked to him, like, yeah, he had an accent and he dressed kind of dorky, but he dressed like preppy, you know? But like, I know kids that dress preppy. Like, a lot of my older friends were dressing preppy at the time, you know? Like, you'd have a kid in American Eagle that was like, just because you dressed preppy didn't mean that you were soft or something growing up, you know? I saw all my friends transition from, like, Echo to fucking Abercrombie, and there were still, like, tough kids that would fight you and fuck you up. So this kid kind of dressed preppy, and um, he told me he had, like, an older brother, and he was into, like, techno. And, like, back then, like, in seventh grade, nobody was into techno. No one even knew what that shit was. But I knew what it was because I would go to, like, the all-age clubs and raves and shit as a kid and, like, try to holler at girls. And I remember we were talking. I was like, yeah, I get weed or whatever. And, like, I remember I had, like, Bud in an Altoids case. I'll say it again. I had funky-ass Bud in seventh grade. And, like, there are kids that are grown now, 30 years old, and they'll still tell you, like, I don't know what Brian Alzate used to get in middle school, but that kid had some funk. I remember I opened up my Altoids case, and this kid was like, God damn, what is that? And I was like, that's weed, bro. And he was looking at it. It looked all crazy. I remember, like, we had planned to smoke in school once uh, during PE. And at the time, I had, like, 20 baggies in my backpack. And, like, me and my friend Albert had just thrown down on, like, our first half-o. You know, up until that point, I was buying, like, quarters or whatever. Or I would just, like, take someone's money and buy a half-o for them or buy an O with them or whatever. But I wasn't really, like, me, myself, buying an O or a half-o. And I remember me and my friend Albert put up the money. We bought like a half of some fire and I was selling it. I had little baggies of five with little markers, fives and tens. And I was selling it to a couple people in school, skimping the fuck out of everybody, selling them like point twos for like $10. You know, I remember uh, we were smoking in the bathroom in PE and I was like, all right, bro, we're going to like take a couple hits and then go outside. And what I would do is I had, like, this one little hitter pipe that had, like, a lid on it. So you could, like, close the lid after it was cherry. And I remember closing the lid. I take a big hit, and I hold it in. Like, you can—like, me and my boys used to smoke in movie theaters as a kid. Like, if you have this one little hitter pipe, you can take a hit, hold the air in, and, like, the air would kind of, like, dissipate in your lungs, and you wouldn't really let out a big cloud of smoke. And um, I remember, like, hitting the pipe or whatever, taking a big hit, holding it in. Like, showing him, like, all right, bro, don't, like, let out all the smoke like an idiot. And he takes one hit and just starts coughing smoke everywhere. And he takes another hit, cough and smoke everywhere. I'm like, bro, you're an idiot. 
So then, like, whatever, we walk outside, and then the baseball team had a game that day, so they're walking inside, and all these little jits are like, oh, we smell marijuana in here. Oh, it smells like marijuana. And I'm like, God damn. So I remember the PE coach is like, these are the last two to come out the locker room, and they search our locker room. I remember the security guard found my my Altoids case, and he found, like, my little bags of weed, and they found, like, $100 in my wallet and, like, fives and tens. You know, up until that point, my father had a really good relationship. But um, when my father came to school, like, I was laughing and joking before he showed up. I remember they were like, you're going to go to jail. This is going to be on your permanent record. And, like, to me, like, I, I knew the law. I remember telling this lady straight up. I was like, that's only 18 grams. It's not over 21 grams. 21 grams is trafficking. You can get me on possession. She was like, it's all in little baggies, so we got you on trafficking. It doesn't need to be 21 grams. I was like, I'm fucking 13 years old. You don't think they're going to drop that shit in court. That shit's going to get dismissed. And I was like, you could do whatever you want. And, like, I really was, like, acting like I was Al Capone or, like, somebody, like, tough or somebody. As soon as my dad walked in, like, that smirk on my face got wiped off. And he was not playing no games. He said, where did you get this from? And I was like, I don't know. He says, you're going to give me a name or we're going to sit here all day. And I was like, uh, I got it from some guy at the mall. He goes, okay, you got it from some guy at the mall. He, like, gets a piece of paper. He draws a mall on there, circles it. And he goes, who did he get it from? What's his name? And I'm like, what the fuck? And he's like, I need to know. Like, he was trying to find the source, like, like where this shit came from. And he was, like, really screaming and yelling at me. You're going to fuck up your whole life. You could go to jail for this shit. You ain't never going to get a job. And I remember the security guard being like, damn, this is a really good parent, you know. And I remember the police officer, Officer Arndt, was like, wow, I can't believe, like, this is your son. I'm so sorry this has happened, but you seem like a really good parent, and, like, you never, you know, you won't realize how many parents come in that don't give a fuck, and, like, at least we could tell that you care. And I remember, like, uh, the principal, his name was Miss Brown. Miss Brown walked in, and she was like, I cannot believe it was one of my best students because I always got good grades. And then she was like, and of all weeks, Red Ribbon Week, Brian, Red Ribbon Week, you do this shit? And I was like, what the fuck is Red Ribbon Week? I didn't know what Red Ribbon Week was for, like, years, but I guess it's, like, Drug Awareness Week or some shit. My dad takes me home, and I get, like, my first, like, suspension or whatever. My dad is screaming at me in the car, fucking screaming. You're never allowed to go outside ever. Give me your fucking phone. You're never going anywhere. You're not going to be shit. You got me coming, picking you up, da-da-da-da. Bro, he was really mad, like really fucking mad, breaking shit when we got home, called the whole family to sit down and talk to me, and um, the whole family was worried, and I remember not believing, like, this is really my life, like, this is really happening right now, and I told my friends, and they were like, damn, dog, you know, that sucks, but whatever, you know, you want to come out tonight, you know, like, people don't really care, like, your friends don't really give a fuck that you got arrested. And then they were like, you know, you're dumb as fuck to be smoking in school. You got to smoke after. But all I really cared about was, like, when the next party was and, like, what we doing this weekend and uh, sneaking out still just because I was grounded. Like, I knew my dad had, like, a tighter eye on me, but I just kept doing the same shit. But what did change was I started having to pee in a cup. And I had to go to, like, some diversionary program, which was, like, my first real stint in, like, an IOP. And I did, like, six months of this IOP where I'd have to pee in a cup. 
bro, I remember going to parties and everybody smoking. I'd just be sitting there like, no, nah, I can't smoke no more. Everyone like, damn, that sucks. Oh, you can't smoke. I'd be in the backseat of a car. Everyone's fogging it out. I'd be lowering the window, trying to breathe out. They'd be like, yo, stop. We're trying to hotbox the car. I'm like, bro, I'm on probation. I can't smoke. And then fucking, you know how it goes. It sucked. Not, like Everyone's like, bro, you can't smoke. And I remember just being like, what am I going to do? I can't smoke. And I'm like, fuck. And this one day, my uh, friend had his friend over. And uh, and these kids were older. People, like, uh, think of Weston as, like, a r- pretty rich area. But there were some, like, little parts of Weston that have, like, small townhouses and shit. And there was people that moved there to get out of the hood that were still kind of, like, they were bad kids, bro. I don't know how to say it. Like, these kids didn't give a fuck, you know? And um, I remember this kid left Coke at my house. And he called me. So he went to the mall with my friend, and I had to stay home for some reason. And he was like, yo, I left something in your desk. Don't touch it. So I go to look at it, and it's Coke. And it's, like, balled up into a ball, like a legit, like he— it was like a gram of Coke, and he, like, rolled it into a ball. So this is how unskilled he was at cutting Coke, where he literally cut it and then rolled it into a ball, like, with some sticky. I don't even know what the fuck he used, but it was horrific Coke. He's like, don't touch it. And I was like, Coke? Who the fuck has Coke? I've never even seen Coke. It's, like, middle of, like, seventh grade. And he's like, yeah, don't touch my yay. And, like, that's what he used to call me. And they're like, yay. And I was like, I can't believe this kid has Coke. You know, I remember just looking at it and looking at him like, how do you even do this? And when he came home, I was like, bro, let me buy that off you. And he was like, what do you want? You want a dub? And I was like, a dub? The fuck's a dub? And he's like, a dub, a 20. And I was like, how much is that? He's like, well, this is this is 40. This is a gram. And I was like, $40 for that? Get the fuck out of here. Who the fuck would pay $40 for that? And he was like, well, I'll give you a dub. I remember thinking, like, he cut it in half and gave me half of it. And I remember um, my friend got a credit card. And you don't really use a credit card because there's the indentations with the numbers. So you want to use, like, a school ID or something really flat. And he taught me. Like, I remember, like, you know, we locked the door. My parents were home. And he got it all flat on the table. And he taught me, like, you want to press it and get it real flat and get all the bumps out of it. And then, you know, you get another card to scrape it off the other card. And then you cut it into little lines, but you got to make sure it's really flat first, get all the little rocks out of it, chop it up into like fine powder, then you break out the lines. I got a dollar bill, $20, actually like I got like a $100 bill from him. I remember like he was snobby. He's like, oh, I don't put ones in my nose, dog. Like the fuck? Nah, bro, that's disgusting, bro. I only snort yay with hundreds. Like that's what kind of friends I had, you know, <laughs> like these snobby fucked up kids with money like growing up like some of my friends with money had were like way more fucked up than like my friends that lived in trailer parks you know this is like one of my close friends that lived in weston hills him and his brother sold weed they did coke you know um i've known them since like i was fourth grade and i remember he comes over and this is like what happens and he teaches me how to you know you put the hundred dollar bill in your left nostril and you close your right nostril and you snort it I thought it would burn. I thought it would hurt, but it really didn't feel like anything. And um, I was like, what do I do now? And he's like, you just chill. And I literally thought I didn't feel anything. And then he left, 
and I like snorted the rest of it, and I played Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. I remember thinking like that was a total waste of money. I don't feel anything. And for some reason, I was affecting to like feel some type of high like marijuana where I'd feel like fucked up. All I remember was like I played San Andreas till four in the morning. And um, I called him. I was like, yo, I did that coke. I didn't feel anything. He's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't feel anything. I just stayed awake all night. He's like, that's kind of what it does. And I was like, that's it? He was like, yeah. And I was like, that's coke? He was like, yeah. And I was like, this whole time I was like scared of coke. That shit's nothing. And then, you know, did it again. And I did it again. And I did it again. And I did it again. You know, you're talking about 12, 13 years old. I got an eight ball on me everywhere I go. I don't smoke weed anymore. To me, I think like smoking weed is like some duck shit. Like if you smoke weed, you're like a fucking idiot. Like I'm just not into, like some of my boys smoked, but I wasn't smoking weed. Smoking weed was just like a waste of money. It makes you high, it makes you slow, it makes you stupid. Like I was fucking with, yeah. I remember I had like this, my boy that I met, uh, I met him at MovieGo, and we actually knew each other. And I remember we were, like, hanging out at MovieGo, and he had, like, a, a Celtics jersey on. He had a blowout, and we were talking. And I knew this kid because we used to play uh, – we used to do karate together when we were, like, in second grade. And he's, like, four years older than me. And he's like, yo, what up, dog? And, we're, <laughs> and I'm just like, yo, what's good? And he's like, I haven't seen you in forever, bro. And we are just like, yeah. And he was like – what you doing? And I was like chilling, like just at the movies, whatever. And he's like, word, whatever. And then like a few weeks later, he comes over to my house with my friend, uh, the kid from Weston Hills, the same kid. And he's like, oh shit, what's up, dog? I don't know. I don't know you were cool with Ray Ray. I don't know you knew Ray Ray. What's up? And we're just talking and he's just like, he doesn't ask if anyone's home, if my parents are home or anything. He just comes through and fucking slaps like a, uh, eight ball of coke on my kitchen counter where like my family eats dinner and cuts up food and shit and he's like chopping up yay and he's like oh you want to do a line dog what's up ever since like that's kind of how it was like for a couple of years it was like doing coke at each other's houses fucking bro we would do coke in the open anywhere selling coke at parties and, like, when I started doing coke, I started to meet, like, a whole nother crowd of people. Like, I remember being in seventh, eighth grade, driving to Miami at some fucking club, meeting some people, like, in their 30s or 40s to buy coke off them. And we'd be, like, on a rooftop club. No one ID'd me. No one gave a fuck. People drinking, fucking girls dancing, doing coke in the bathroom. And then, like, when I would go to parties, it was, like, I remember picking up this girl from school and I was like in eighth grade and I've been doing coke already. I was like, thought I was a veteran. And I remember I pick her up in my mom's car. I stole my mom's car, picked her up. And I was like, yo, I'm got to go to this party real quick. And she was like, what a party? And I was like, yeah, like what the fuck you think it was? And she was like, uh, am I going to know anyone there? And I was just like, I don't know. Like, let's just go. And she was like all nervous to go to some party. And I remember we go to this party and it's a high school party, you know, it's people and seniors. I think it was a Archbishop MacArthur party, some kid's house and like fucking not Hawks Landing, but like a neighborhood like Hawks Landing, like some big ass house and shit. And I remember like there's people drinking downstairs, there's people getting fucked up and people doing kegs and smoking. But upstairs, there's a whole nother like 
underground world of people upstairs. And upstairs, you got like the owner of the house who's really just some kid we use to throw parties at his house. And then you got like me, my one friend I was talking about, Tony, this other kid, Chris, like people that like at that time I thought were like part of the cool kids club. Like those are the kids that sold drugs, bought drugs, and like you didn't rob. But anyone outside of that circle, like they were getting robbed, they were getting skimped, they were getting beat up, like whatever it was. Like if you weren't part of like this clique of us, you just were like a herb. Like that's just what we thought of you. You were fucking nobody, like whatever. And I go there and I'm in because I've known my friend Ray Ray, you know, since I was a kid. And uh, that's not his real name, but it's like one of the nicknames we had for him. And like, I remember I go there, I meet, and I say, what's up? And there's people bagging up Coke and like these little, uh, like these Batman baggies. And everyone's like, who the fuck is this? And he's like, oh, it's my boy. And like, you know, I say, what's up to everybody? And um, there's like some girls there and shit. We were just chilling there doing Coke, talking shit, doing Coke, talking shit. Growing up, like, there was a story of, like, like one of my close friends had stabbed somebody and, like, another kid got stabbed or, like, beat up. Or, like, like the conversation was, like, who went to jail, who stabbed who, who's on the run, who's got beef with this person, who's fucking this kid's girl, you know, smoking cigarettes, of course. You know, I smoked Newports and did coke. That's basically all I did back then. Sometimes I would run into my old marijuana friends like the kids I used to smoke weed with and they would be like bro Brian's bad now like my older friends that were in college like by the time I was in eighth grade my old friends were already in college I remember those kids would be like yeah Brian's bad now he's like he does yay he's all skeeted out all the time he fucking hangs out with these kids as much as like people talk shit like I had friends that in my opinion like at the time I thought like we were like the tough kids you know I was really just getting started, and I fell in love with Coke. Like, I love Coke. And I finished that probation. They didn't even check for Coke. Like, that's how stupid this probation was. Like, they only tested me for marijuana. By the end of eighth grade, I was fucking doing Coke, selling Coke, obsessed with it. I remember doing it, like, Wednesday mornings. And then even my friends that did Coke used to be like, bro, how much Coke are you doing? And I used to just be, like, fucked up at 9 in the morning, haven't slept, did, like, a quarter to my face. And they'd be like, bro, what's wrong with you? And, like, I could see. I was like, bro, you guys do coke, too. But they were like, bro, we don't do it like that. And, like, some of my friends would save coke for the next day. And I thought that was crazy. I could, like, what the, who saves coke for the next day? Beginning of ninth grade, you know, I don't really have a lot of friends in school. Like, my friends graduated high school two years ago, and, like, my current friends all go to different schools or they've graduated. Really don't talk to anybody, but I start hanging out with some of my brother's friends. Got them all on coke, too, you know? And in ninth grade, um, my dad drug tests me randomly. I failed for everything except for opiates. And I guess I had rolled. Like, I would do ecstasy every once in a while, like... Like, I'd go, like, hang out with my boy Tony. We'd go to, like, like my friend Tony was up on, like, club scene before anyone else. He was going to, like, the all-age clubs. We had fake IDs. We'd be going to fucking uh, Automatic Slims on Las Olas. Like, I remember being in eighth grade going to Automatic Slims. And, like, the Hard Rock just got built. We'd be going to the Hard Rock. 
and fucking just like staying out all night. And I remember he was like the first kid in the group to like rock Ed Hardy and Lacoste and all this shit. That's why I had like a whole bunch of drugs in my system. I even had weed in my system just like randomly happened to smoke. And my dad loses it. And like since then, me and my dad has started arguing over and over. Bro, I would come home drunk on Zannies. I would come home fucked up. I started drinking OEs randomly and fucking being barred out and coming home fucked up on my lawn. And I remember this one time, like, me and all my friends all did Xanax, all drank, all went to a party. And each of us, like, in my neighborhood uh, woke up on our lawns. Everyone, like, woke up outside. I don't know how we got home. And I remember, like, I got out the car and punched, like, a McDonald's, uh, Burger King window. And uh, I remember I was punching this Burger King drive through window because they weren't open. My knuckles were all bloody. And I remember I woke up the next day covered in rice. And I guess I had eaten rice in the, uh, the day before and threw up rice all over myself in my sleep or whatever. And my dad was so mad. And my dad called all my friend's parents and had them all come over to my house. And my dad was like, okay, who got the pills? And all my friends were like, uh... We got him from Brian. And my dad is like, my son's the youngest. Like, my son's fucking 13, 14. You guys are like 18. How the fuck does Brian get the pills? And, like, at one point, he probably thought, like, they were lying. But they were like, yeah, I mean, Brian's the one who, like, gets us to do all this shit. That's when I started to notice that, like, I was kind of, like, the ringleader of even, like, my older friends. You know, during that time, I kind of, like, stepped away from those friends. Because even those friends were like, bro, you're too crazy. Like, you're doing coke all the time. I get this drug test and I'm positive for everything except for opiates. And I thought it was like opium. I thought opium was like what Edgar Allan Poe smoked. Like I didn't think that people did opium these days. Like I'm who the fuck does opium, you know? So I remember like I think my parents are going to ship me off to rehab or something. And I'm tripping. Like my dad is furious. He's breaking furniture. He's screaming. He's yelling. He's ripping things off the wall. He's telling me I'm a piece of shit, I'm never going to amount to anything, that I'm going to end up in prison. And now that I'm older, like, my dad's seen a lot in his life, and he probably knew where this was going. And I just didn't think it was going anywhere other than, like, just having fun. And he sent me to a military school in ninth grade. And I remember my parents didn't tell me anything. They were like, pack your bags. I was like, for what? They're like, you need a pack for, like, seven days and I was like seven days and I was like am I going to rehab my mom was just like here I'll pack for you she starts putting shit in a bag and I felt like I had fucked up so many times like every week like something I was getting caught still in the car the police were coming to the house so I was like no room to argue I was like whatever and my parents started driving you know I used to make a joke that my parents told me that I was going to Disney World and drop me off at this military school but they really didn't say where we were going, but it was up in Melbourne. And I get dropped off at this school. And it's an co-ed uh, Air Force Academy. And it's called FAA, Florida Air Academy. And uh, they start explaining the program. We do a tour. My dad signs some paperwork. And my dad pays for, like, additional money for me to do, like, some flight program where they'll teach me how to fly an airplane. And my dad financed this over, like, 30 years. My parents leave me. And as soon as they leave, I feel so much relief because my parents are really the ones who are on me because I can't really, like, lie to them anymore. Like, they're just too on me. And I look at the school, and I'm like, this ain't going to be so bad. 
I remember they like show me my room and there's a lot of Mexican kids there. Like for some reason, it's just like, like, like I always thought Mexicans to be like, even my, like I'm half Mexican. And I used to just think of like Mexicans as like brown people, you know, but there was a ton of Mexicans at the school that were like white as snow and really preppy, like real preppy Mexicans. Like I think about like my mom's side of the family and they're not, they're like poor Mexicans. But here was like rich Mexicans. And I remember going to my room and um, everyone's like, oh, you're in the room with Diaz. And I'm like, who the fuck is Diaz? They're like, oh, Diaz. Oh, he's crazy. He's Mexican mafia related. His family's in the Mexican mafia. Da, da, da. He, oh, he's not going to like that you're his roommate. He doesn't like having roommates. So I was like, oh, yeah, I don't really care. So I'm thinking like Mexican mafia. I'm thinking like someone who's like six foot one, 200 pounds, covered in tattoos or something. And even in ninth grade, I was pretty big for my age. Um, even though I didn't like to play sports, I always liked working out. So I, even like on Coke, I could still bench like 185 pounds. And um, I was still like in the weight room and stuff, even on drugs at that time. So I was still like pretty fit and a big kid. Uh, this kid, I remember I'm sleeping on the top bunk. And when there's like a bunk with like, uh, it's like a small room with like four bunks. And underneath is like a desk. And I'm sleeping in my room. And uh, this kid Diaz walks in, and he's like, who the fuck is this motherfucker? And then I just, like, pretend not to hear him. He's like, yo, I'm talking to you. And I'm just, like, not even hearing, like, not trying to hear him. And he throws um, he throws a basketball at my, at my bunk. And I was like, bro, just stop. And he's like, what's your fucking name? And some kid's like, oh, that's Alzate. He's like, oh, Alzate, where are you from? And I'm just looking at this kid like, bro, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't give a fuck where you're from. Or I don't want to talk to you and tell you where I'm from. And I just, like, pretend to go back to sleep. And mind you, this kid Diaz is, like, 120 pounds, like, five foot four, Like, scrawny kid. This other kid, Frenchie, walks in. And uh, his name's Frenchie, but we call him Frances. And Frances walks in, and he's tall. He's, like, 5'11", whatever. And he's got dark skin. He looks like, definitely looks like a model. Like, he's just a pretty boy. He's, like, really good shape. This kid was, like, obsessed with working out in, like, ninth grade, 10th grade. And I remember he picks up the basketball, and Frances pegs it at me. And I jump down, and we start fighting. And um, I tackle this kid. Major John, who is, like, the supervisor over there, Major John walks in. He's like, what's going on in here? And they were like, bro, this kid's crazy. He jumped off the bunk and attacked us. And I was like, bro, it's my first day. These kids are, like, fucking throwing basketballs at me. So because it was my first day, he, like, sided with me. And the other kids got KP. And KP is, like, kitchen patrol where you have to, like, clean the dishes. So when I'd be getting lunch, I'd be seeing these two kids cleaning the dishes and on kitchen patrol. And they'd be, like, grilling me. And I just, like, stayed away from them. And I uh, didn't talk to nobody my first week. I wanted to see who was who. And there was this kid, Roy, who was in our hallway, and he was a junior. So I was a freshman. Frances was a sophomore, and I think Diaz was, like, a sophomore, too. And Roy was a junior. And Roy was flight captain or some shit, so he could lock his room, and he had his own room. And me and Roy became cool, and I remember being like, yo, I can get powder. And he was like, word? And I was like, yeah, I could get yay. And he thought I was lying. He was like, oh, cool. Yeah, a lot of kids say they can get that stuff, but they really can't. So I was like, well, I mean, how much do you want? 
He's like, bro, if you could bring that shit in here, these kids will pay whatever. So in military school, you can't leave at all. And you have canteens. So you have like these booklets of canteen to buy shit downstairs. But like, so the people at this school either have like bread from their parents or they're here like the judge has appointed them to go to some military school for some reason. Like the county would pay like a certain percentage of people to go to this military school and you had to wear a uniform. And some days you'd be dressed nice, like, I think they're called, like, like, you'd be wearing, no, some days you'd be wearing, like, your fatigues, which is, like, your camo outfit with, like, your boots. And some days you'd be wearing, like, your flight outfit where you'd be wearing, like, a flight jacket, uh, dress pants, and, like, a dress shirt tucked in and, like, a fucking one of those, like, beret hats, I forget. So at this school, you know, there's just, like, a big mixture of kids. And Roy was, like, this surfer kid from, like, Sebastian. He was, like, a beach kid. But he, he said he liked to do coke. And I was like, cool. So my mom would uh, pick me up. So they would have like a once a month furlough where this bus would let you go back home. Like once a month, it would like bus you back down to South Florida for kids or up north for other kids. And I went back to my house and um, I don't know what I did, but like I hustled somebody or robbed somebody or I did something to come up with like 200 bucks. And I bought, um, I think, a quarter... So, like, two eight balls were, like, a quarter of Coke for, like, 180. And when I was doing Coke, what I figured out was that with Coke, you could buy an eighth, an eight ball, for 100 bucks. You could cut half of it. You could get two grams for free and then sell the other two, and you still get 80 bucks worth of Coke basically for free and still make your money back with the other, you know, 1.8 grams, two grams, whatever it was. I, that's basically what I did from like seventh grade to ninth grade. Like I would buy an eight ball, cut it, make my money back, whatever. So like I always had money. And then when I would like get really fucked up and do all of it by myself, which happened a lot, I would just take money from my dad. My dad had like an ATM card that like, bro, my dad never checked his bank account ever. Or like he just didn't know who was withdrawing the hundred bucks. If it was him or my mom, I have no idea. He like never noticed the hundred bucks going missing every couple of weeks. So I really could take like 100 bucks whenever I wanted or even 200 bucks sometimes. I remember I bought a quarter and uh, they would search you when you came back. So I remember because I liked working out, I brought protein and I dug a hole in my protein and I put the quarter of Coke in the protein thing. And I went back to my bunk and um, I pulled it out and me and Roy started doing Coke. And this is like my third week there, right? Like I'm already bringing Coke in there. And he's like, I can't believe you have this much. I'm like, this is just like a little bit, you know. And he was just like, wow, this is crazy. And like, if you thought I was snobby about weed, like I was snobby about my yay. Like I wasn't buying no f- garbage yay. Like I was buying fish scale, funky, fucking tinted yellow, one rock. I'm not buying no like powder bag bullshit. Like I was buying funk, fire, smell it through the bag, sting your fucking nostrils, coke. The movie Blowhead just came out. Like, I thought I was George Jung. The Cocaine Cowboys had just came out. Like, I really was, like, head deep into, like, Coke. At military school, I would sell kids lines for $20, $30. They would pay whatever because no one can get it. It's like prison. Like, people buy cigarettes for, like, a crazy amount of money. So, like, no one can get anything there. So, like, if you brought weed, people would buy weed for, like, $100 for, like, an eighth, not even, like, a fucking gram or some shit. They were crazy. 
and I would sell kids like little fucking dubs of Coke for like a hundred bucks. Sometimes I wouldn't even give them Coke. Sometimes I would buy caffeine pills, crush them up and fucking tell them it was Coke and fucking they would fucking buy it. You know, I started doing Coke all the time in military school, all the time. It was just so easy to the point where um, the Mexican kids used to call me Cocodrilo. So I remember these kids used to be like, oh, Cocodrilo, what's up? Cocodrilo, like, damn, this kid's like the Coke, the Coke king, whatever, he's always doing Coke. And I remember, like, I thought that was cool being called Cocodrilo. And I remember um, that kid, Frances, who was like, we didn't like each other. This one day, he comes up to me in the lunch line, and he goes, um, alzate. And I was like, what's up? And he was like, bro, will you be my fucking friend? And I was like, what? And he was like, bro, I fucking hate all these kids here. I fucking hate all these motherfuckers. They're all fucking lame. He was like, bro, be my fucking friend, bro. And I was like, bro, I don't like you. And he was like, bro, all that shit is squashed. Like fucking, he's like, he wanted me like to be his roommate because like his roommate had left. He's like, bro, let's let's link up in the same room. And I remember being like, nah, bro, I'm I'm in Roy's room. Like Roy lets me lock the door. Because he's like the flight captain or whatever. So he's like, you, me, and Roy will all live in the same room. So I talked to Roy and like uh, for a while it was me, Frenchie, and Roy. And most people had four people in a room. We had three. And because Roy was a flight captain, he could lock his door. So like everyone else had to keep their door open. We could lock our door. We could do coke, like whatever. Bro, there were so many nights where I was just doing coke all night. And Frenchie never did coke. Roy would do it, but, like, quickly, after a while, he was like, bro, I'm not doing more of that shit. So I was just, like, me doing coke and selling it to, like, kids randomly. This one day, I'm just, like, I just bought, like, a quarter. I'm almost done with it. And it's, like, the first day I have it. I'm like, bro, I just ran through, like, fucking this eight ball so fast. I just got back to school. I'm going to be, like, fucked, like. And there's this kid, um. We used to work out together. So at the time, I'm still into working out. And this kid used to be into working out and, like, video games. And his room was, like, all video game geeks. Like, all these kids played was, like, World of Warcraft. Their lights were never on. They all had, like, ten sheets over their bunks because they would make, like, these weird tents and play video games in it. I go up to him. I was like, bro, I need something to go to sleep. So this kid was, like, the one kid in school who had all the pills because his brother sold pills or, like, worked at a pharmacy or something. Forget the story. And he always had, like, these weird-ass pills. But, like, I never really did them. I just knew that he was into, like, pharmaceuticals. And he was super geeky, but I just knew he was cool. Like, everyone else probably thought he was geeky, but I just liked this kid. And I remember I was like, bro, I can't sleep. Like, I have all this coke. I just want to go to sleep, bro. I don't want to do it all night. And he was just like, all right, bro, I'll give you uh, these if you give me some coke. So I gave him, like, a dub of yay. And he gives me three Roxy 30s and two Oxy 40s. This is ninth grade. And the Oxy 40s, I think, were like yellow and the Roxy's were blue. They're the 8215 blues. So he gives me two 40s and three Roxy's, which at the time is way more than a dub of Coke. He must like not really known how much he gave me. But it was like a, a lot of fucking pills. And he says to do one of the Roxy's or one of the 40s, but don't do all of them. He looks me dead in the eye. He says, don't do more than that. And I was like, okay. I go to my room. 
I learned that you have to like peel the 40s. You have to like peel them or like lick them and rub them off. They have like this coating on them. And I crush up the two 40s and the three Roxies all together. And I do all of them. And I'm fucking, I don't even know what I felt at the time. This was my first time ever doing opiates. But I remember I got on the phone with this girl and just started talking to this girl like nonstop. I don't know what the fuck we're talking about. But I just like, we talked until like six in the morning. And when I got up, I was like, God, I'm fucking nauseous. And I was like, fuck, I'm really nauseous. And I hear the do 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 like well like the thing they do in the morning at military school. And I'm like, fuck, is it morning already? I remember thinking like these pills would put me to sleep. Like I was looking for Xanax or like some type of landing gear, like Valium to fucking go to sleep. So I remember being like, fuck, it's morning. So I remember I go downstairs and uh, my skin just feels like raw and I just feel so sick. And I remember thinking like I got to eat something. So I remember I go downstairs and Frenchie is laughing and Roy is laughing and Diaz is laughing. At the time, like, now Diaz is cool. Me, Diaz, and Roy are, like, all friends and shit. They're laughing at me, like, oh, man, you look like shit, whatever. And I was just like, yeah, so I eat this food. And as soon as I finish eating my food, I throw it all up perfectly back on my plate. And I threw it up so fast that people around me didn't even notice that I threw up until later. They're like, wait, what is that? Did you just throw that up? And I remember just being like, I'm going to be fucking sick. And I remember I go to the infirmary and I tell the lady that I'm sick. And I lay down in the infirmary. And when I'm laying down, I feel fine. But as soon as I get up to drink water, I start throwing up. And I'm in there for like one day. And uh, I'm in there for like the first day, right? So Frenchie comes to visit me in the infirmary. He's like, how are you doing? And I was like, bro, bring me my geography book. And he's like, what? So I used to hide my Coke. So my books, like I would hide my Coke in my computer back when like computers had like actual laptops. So I used to hide my Coke in my computer and I would also hide it in one of my books. So I'd have like two books standing up and I'd have one book totally flat and I'd used to put Coke in like the flat book. And I remember I was like, bro, bring me my geography book. I have Coke there. Keep the book flat and don't open it because it will all come out. So just hold it flat the whole time and bring it over here. So he brings me my geography book, and I open it, and I start doing lines in the infirmary. And I start doing coke, and I feel, like, a little better. And then the lady's like, you haven't thrown up in a while. You're good to go. And I'm like, no, I really still feel sick. She's like, well, you haven't thrown up. You need to leave. So I leave. We have uh, an emergency hall of flag. Like, so there's, like, a hall that's called the hall of flags, which is, like, this giant hall where we do, like— so we do like formations down there. So there's like a random emergency hall of flag meeting where the entire school needs to go down and meet. And I'm like, what the fuck? And the president of the school is speaking. And I'm like, fuck. I don't wear my, what I'm supposed to wear. I wear like my, like gym clothes basically. And I tell my major like, oh, I just got out of the infirmary. I'm still sick. And he's like, boy, you better get in formation. So I get in formation or whatever and the, president of the school is making this speech and I start to feel nauseous again and I fucking throw up in front of the entire school and I remember when I puked once everyone goes ew and they all make this line and then like they all like spread out in a circle around me and they go ew 
and then I threw up again, and everyone goes, ew, and they spread out further, and then I threw up again, and everyone goes, ew, and they all, like, spread out another line, and the last thing I puked was, like, this giant piece of ham that, like, I didn't even chew, and I remember it just, like, flopped on the floor. I remember thinking, like, fuck, they're going to know I did drugs. Like, people are starting to notice. Like, this looks so bad. I just threw up in front of the entire school. Like, imagine, like, this fucking kid just throws up while your entire school is having, like, a fucking meeting with the president of the school. And they, like, sent me back to the infirmary, and I remember they called my parents. And I remember when they called my parents, I thought they were calling them to be, like, you know, your son's on drugs, we're kicking him out or something. And they called my parents and were like, I'm sorry, he has a bug. It's been going around. He's not feeling good, you know. And my parents called me all worried, like, oh, I heard you were sick. Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. I kept doing coke. And on one of my trips home, I was at this party. I'm ninth grade at some party. And, like, at this point, I think, like, parties are lame. Like, I don't know. I'm not, like, really into partying. And I'm at, like, some party... And I meet this kid who's friends with, like, my brother. He hears that I do coke, and he's like, I heard you could get really good coke. I mean, I only do good coke. What do you mean? And he was like, bro, I know this crack house, and I know this guy who wants to buy it. And I remember thinking, like, crack house? Like, why the fuck would I go to a crack house? And he was like, you could sell your coke there. And I thought I was, like, the king of drugs. But this kid was talking about a crack house. Crack? Like, what the fuck is a crack house? And I remember he was like, I'll take you there. And you can sell these people coke. And I was just like, okay, whatever. (laughs) So I remember, like, I buy, like, an eight ball. And we go to this neighborhood. It's called Shady Banks. And it's on Davie Boulevard at 95. And we go into this neighborhood, and um, there's an episode with Eve, and um, she's one of uh, the people that I met at this house. I'm still in ninth grade, and I go to this house, and uh, you go into this neighborhood, and you follow it all the way down. And then right when you think it ends, it turns to the right. And then right when you think it's going to end, there's like this weird fence with a dirt road that says, like, keep off property. And then there's, like, all these trees that overhang, and, like, the highway is right above your head, the 95 highway. And you go down this little dirt road, and there's, like, more trees. And then you look, and there's, like, the inner coastal where, like, people dock their boats and shit. And then there's, like, this little house with, like, a little circular driveway with, like, a tree in the middle that's, like, super overgrown where, like, you could tell no one's really taking care of this property for years. There's a... Screened in door, you open the screened in patio door, then there's like a regular lock, and then above it there's like a padlock, and then above it there's like another lock. There's like three locks on this door. And we knock and I hear someone say, Who is it? And he's like, It's me, Ryan. He's like, Ryan? He's like, Yeah, it's Ryan. And that was my friend's name. He's like, let us in. And he's like, who's we? He's like, I'm here with my friend, the one I told you about. And he opens the door and we walk into this house and uh, there's not much furniture. It's like a little bit of furniture. And it looks like, you know, a couple of people are living there. There's like a mattress in one of the rooms. The pool in the back is green. There's like one TV in the living room. There's a couch that doesn't look like someone bought it for the house. It looks like someone just brought it over one day. It doesn't, like, fit at all. Then there's this table that is, like, a tree stump bar table that's, like, really big. 
I meet this guy, and his name is Doc. Well, that's what we call him. And we call him Doc because uh, I was told that he has cancer, and he has HIV, and he gets all the pills he wants. All the pills he wants. And in exchange for the pills, he buys crack. My friend was really into pills, and a lot of people at the time were into pills. And because I had that one bad experience, like I wasn't really trying to do pills. Like when I threw up and got sick, I had done them again, and I just felt nauseous every time I did opiates, and I didn't like that nauseous feeling. And I always did too much. Like people used to tell me to do one, I'd always do like three or four. And I meet this guy, Doc. He's got like a couple earrings. He's a frail older guy, probably in his 40s. He's wearing like a button-down Hawaiian t-shirt and short shorts and like sandals. And he's got like a dragon on his left arm. And uh, he's got a picture of a tiger or he's got a tattoo of a tiger on his leg. He's just like is interesting. Like there's just something different about him than like other people I've met. And I look closer at the tattoo, and it's not a tiger. It's a tigger. Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, and I thought that was funny. And he's like, who's your friend? I told you no more fucking kids here. And I'm just sitting there quiet. And he's like, you know, he's my friend. You know, he's cool. Trust me. He's like, no, I told you no more kids here. I'm not fucking babysitting. No more kids. And he's like, you already know what happened. And I didn't know, but there had been a death in the house recently from some other kid who had overdosed. So he was like, no more kids. He was like, no, this is my boy, bro. He's the one who can get coke. And he looked at me, and he was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I have some. And he was like, well, let's see what you got. And I remember I pulled out my coke, and he looked at it and smelled it, and he broke out a line. Without asking, he just did a line of it. And he snorted it off the table. And I remember he had like a long pinky nail, and he was like, uh, that is premium. And I just started laughing. I was like, yeah, I mean, of course. And he was like, can you get more of this? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I'll take it. So I served him up and he gave me some money. And he was like, I remember he was like, you want money or pills? And I was like, I want money. What the fuck? I don't want pills. So he gives me money. And um, he instantly gets a spoon and he pours some of the Coke on the spoon and he heats it up with a lighter. And he heats it up and he pushes it around with this metal metal uh, paper clip that's pulled out extended. He starts pushing around the pieces together. And he heats it up on the spoon and he puts some water in and he gets it hot. And then when it's all like boiling hot, he gets an ice cube on the and he leaves the ice cube on the table and he cools it down with the ice cube and the spoon. And then he pulls out a crack pipe. Crack pipe looks like a glass pen, but a little thicker. He puts the crack on the pipe, and um, he smokes it. And I remember thinking, like, I would never in a million fucking years do that shit. I can't believe I'm in this fucking house watching this guy smoke crack. Like, what the fuck? And they don't call it crack. No one ever said the word crack. It's called hard. You know, that's just what we call it. And I go back to this house a couple of times, and, like, Ryan doesn't want, like, my friend Ryan doesn't want to do coke. I keep trying to get him to do coke. He only wants to do pills. He only wants to do oxy-80s. And I'm like, bro, just do some coke with me. He's like, no, I don't like that stuff. And he only wants to do pills. So I start doing pills with him. I start kind of liking it. 
And after I got stopped getting nauseous, I used to get like excitement when I did them. It, was, it wasn't like Coke, but I felt really excited and good with them. And I felt good, but it was like being high on Coke, but I couldn't talk and go outside. So Coke was getting to the point where like I would get lockjaw immediately. I'd fucking be doing it for a day or two, fucking not eating, just feeling like shit. Like I was really getting crazy. But when I started doing pills, I started to be able to function again. And then, like, out of nowhere, everybody that I knew, like, all of my friends that were back, like, from Pembroke Pines, that went to Pines Charter and Archbishop and Cardinal Gibbons, like, all my friends there, they're, like, people that we knew in our circle, everybody was doing pills. I didn't know anybody not doing pills. I started going to this house and doing pills and buying pills. And I remember the first time I bought pills on my own, I bought four Oxy-80s. And I bought them from Doc. And I remember he said, like, don't do this all at once. You'll die. <laughs> I did them all at once. And I didn't die, obviously. But I could have died, you know. And I got really into pills. Roxy's were like $7. Uh, there was this kid, Bobo. His dad, like, was like a real big-time dealer, like, selling hundreds of pills, pounds of weed. You know, this kid used to go into his house and pull out bags of weed like it was nothing. Like, he would go inside his dad's house and run into her car and be like, this is all I could get. And I'd be like, what the fuck is that? And he'd have, like, he's like, I couldn't get any crippy, but I got a pound of rags. And I'm like, you just stole a pound of rags? Like, we don't even, like, who the fuck even would want a pound of rags? He's like, that's not all. I got this and I got that. And he'd be like, oh, I got, like, 40 Vicodins. I got, like, 60 Xanax. And I got, like, 80 Roxies. And I got, like, 40 Greens. Greens would be, like, Oxy-80s. And then he'd be like, and then I also have this. And he'd put, like, a little fucking vial of, like, Coke and I remember, like, buying the Coke off him, and it was the funkiest, fireest Coke I've ever done in my life till today. I'm pretty sure it was cut with meth. As soon as I did a bump of it, I could not talk. I couldn't talk for hours. Everyone was like, are you getting out of the car? And I was just stuck in the back seat. And I remember my friend was like, all right, bro, we're all getting out. And I was just, like, totally stuck. He's like, bro, I'm not leaving the keys for you, so you're going to sit in the car if you don't want to get out. And I remember just being stuck. And he's like, okay, bro. And he left. No AC. I'm just in the back seat finishing this Coke. And I just couldn't move. And everybody was like doctor shopping. It seemed like overnight, I went from Coke to pills. And I was just like thrown into this world of like doctor shopping where people would fake an MRI. You'd go to the pain clinic and you'd go to these pain clinics, and there'd be like 70 people in line. There'd be fucking golf carts that would pick you up and take you to the clinic because they had to buy the parking lot across the street because there was no parking. And you'd see people's plates, Kentucky, Alabama, Michigan, all these weird plates would be there, like all these out-of-town people, people strung the fuck out. I was young, so I could never get my own script, but I would teach people how to get a script they would break me off. So I'd be like, bro, you got to go get an MRI of your back. You got to go to the hospital, get an x-ray. They're going to send you to an, a referral for an MRI. Then you're going to go to this pain clinic. It's going to be cash only on the first visit. They're going to give you like 120 15s, which are garbage, but they're also going to give you somas. Then they're going to give you clonopin. Then you're going to take all that shit. You're going to fucking sell it. And then if you keep going, you're going to say you keep having more pain. 
Then they're going to start giving you the Roxy 30s, which are what you really want. Then once you start getting Roxy's, you can start asking for like 40s, and then like they'll start giving you 80s. And if you can get 80s and 30s and 40s and Somas and Zans and Klonopin, shit, like now you're really fucking balling out. And Doc had it all. Doc had every pill you could ever imagine all the time, nonstop, and he would get cool shit. He would get fucking morphine lollipops. I remember I'd be over there. He'd be like, oh, I got something special for you kids today. And he'd have morphine lollipops. He'd have liquid oxy. I remember this one time me and Ryan were doing, like, we bought all this liquid oxy thinking it would, like, fuck us up more. And I remember we were, like, doing, like, drops of it under a tongue and not feeling anything. And I remember um, I had spilt some on his shirt. And he's like, fuck, I spilled some on my shirt. And I remember I was like, bro, take your shirt off. And he was like, what? I'm like, bro, take that shirt off. And I cut out a piece of the shirt and I ate it. Like, that's how crazy I was. I was like, I'm not letting that go to waste. Talking about, like, my relationship with my parents, like, my relationship with my parents was uh, non-existent. You know, I really didn't even think about them. I would go home and they would scream and yell and I would leave. And I would go home and my dad would scream and yell and I would leave. I would say, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And then as soon as the coast was clear, I was back to doing the same shit. My dad started screaming and yelling and breaking shit. And my mom was crying and my sister was worried. And my brother was like, what the fuck's wrong with Brian? And my brother is so crazy. And this is still ninth grade. And um, one day I go to Doc's house and um, I get served up by my drug dealer. And he skimps me. And this dude like skimps me like a gram. And I was like, damn, bro, what the fuck? And I called him and he like apologized because he even served me up a line. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, bro, I'll come back later. So normally I would try to save some to like make money, but I got skimped already and I thought he was coming back soon to bring me the other gram. I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it all. So I just do it all like really fast. It's probably supposed to be an eight ball and I got like 2.4 grams or something. And I start coming down hard, and I just feel like when you come down from coke, it's like the worst feeling ever. And there's this guy, Richard, there. Doc isn't home, so, like, it was normal for, like, six people to be at his house and no one to be home. And there's this guy, Richard, there. Richard is probably 50 years old with no front teeth. I've never seen him to ever have a shirt on or shoes or socks. This guy walks around shirtless in shorts and no shoes and long hair, and he's tan. But not tan because, like, he gets tans. Tans because, like, he gets fucked up on beer and falls asleep outside. He's basically a homeless person, you know. And he's at the house. I had given him a a line of Coke. And I was like, you want a line of Coke? And he said, does the bear shit in the woods? I remember thinking, like, what does that mean? And I was like, so you want it or not? And he just came over and did a line. And when I started coming down, he was smoking crack. And I remember looking at him like, you know, like just infatuated that like what crack was. It was just so weird watching someone smoke crack. Like I've seen it on like documentaries and stuff. I was coming down off the coke. I had ran out. My dealer wasn't coming. He said, I'll get with you later. And he was like, you want to hit this? And I remember I said, does the bear shit in the woods? Well, for those of you that don't know, bears always shit in the woods. And I smoked crack for the first time, and I was 14 years old in ninth grade. You know, crack really 
really, really fucked me up. It is something that the moment I did it, I knew that I would struggle with it for the rest of my life. When I held that hit in and my ears started ringing and my chest started pumping, I was fucking sold. I wanted to get married to it. I wanted to get a matching tattoo. I wanted to fucking move in with it. I wanted to do this forever. This was what I've been looking for. And I was like totally in way over my head. And I remember Doc walked in. He had like three or four people with him. They were at some fucking club or some shit. And he looks at me and he could tell something's up. And he's like, what's going on here? And Richard was laughing and I was just like stuck. He had got that I had smoked. And I remember he was like, here, I'm going to let you hit this. And I remember he packed the pipe. He had a straw and he was like, I'm going to shotgun it to you. And I remember him taking a big hit. And he was like, I'm going to shotgun it to you, and then we're just going to drop to the ground. So he blew the smoke into my lungs, and then we started, like, falling to the ground, and I fell to the ground, and I was fucking so high. And then he was just laughing, and then I was just staring at his crack pipe, and he was like, I'm going to give you some. And I was just staring, and he was like, look, hang on. And I was just like, let me get a hit. And he was like, hang on. I'm going to put some more on it, and you can have it, okay? And when he put more on it, and he gave it to me, and he taught me how to rock it back and forth, and you puff on it, and you get that shit melted on the chore, and he taught me how to push it through when it gets all chored up, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, looks like we got ourselves a rock star. And what he really meant was, uh, look like we just turned this kid into a crackhead. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to part one of Hell Has an Entrance, uh, sharing my story over the next four weeks. Remember, if you would like to leave a question for me to answer on the next podcast, go to your Apple podcast and leave a five-star rating with your question in the review. Please tell a friend and a family member to subscribe, rate, and review. Look us up on Instagram at Hell Has an Exit. Shout out to the Dust Brothers, Miles and Jordan. You guys killed it. Thank you so much. If you guys have any other issues or questions, you can always go to unitedrecoveryproject.com. They have a 24-hour hotline if you're struggling. And with that, I'll see you guys next week. Thank you. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.